So today, um, I want to continue to discuss uh, in Luke, after we spoke last week on the parable of the wedding feast, Jesus went right into this next teaching. Now, this is not a parable necessarily, but it, it seemed to be appropriate. It certainly was for the day of Jesus, and I think it's appropriate for us today. And Jesus goes into a conversation with the crowd of people that are following him in something that makes us all a little bit uncomfortable. And I'm sure it made them a little uncomfortable too because Jesus started to talk about the cost of following Jesus. The cost that it takes to follow Jesus. I've got to remember that everything Jesus speaks, everything that he spoke, and everything that's in his word that are words of Jesus, that he speaks with a purpose. And that purpose is to help us, to prepare us to be with him forever. It's never his Jesus' words, as hard sometimes as they are, they're never intended to discourage us or to scare us or to push us away. But yet they're very real, in fact, in the fact that they're reality, and it's really what it requires of us to be a true follower or to have a true relationship with him. And we're going to find that out today, that Jesus says it's costly to follow him. And again, that doesn't necessarily go with American or westernized religion. Because westernized religion says it's more what can I get out of it, not what do I have to put into it. So here's the question. If following Christ is costly, how do you count the cost? How do you count it? That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to try to understand how do we count the cost and what is Christ really asking of us. So our text is Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33, and I would ask you to stand with me if you would. And it's going to be on the screen or you can open it up on your Bible. You have handouts, I believe. The texts are there. Let's read this together. Jesus says to this large crowd that was following him, he said, he turned around and he said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else, your father and your mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Now, let me stop here. This is not a popular talk. I mean, these are people that are following Jesus and he turns around to him and could you imagine what you would feel like if Jesus turned around, looked you in the eye and says, you have to hate your parents if you're going to follow me. Do you understand that? You have to hate and we're going to understand what this means. I'm saying the words now because I want you to understand the significance of this. By comparison, the way you love me, you must hate your life. Wow, this can be a little confusing, so let's work this out, Okay. Verse 27, he says, And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? 
And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Let's pray about this. Father, we need your wisdom. We need your direction on this word because this is a hard one. This is one that could push a lot of people away. This is one that could say, man, that is just too much for me. I'm not buying into that religion. And they could walk out the door. But Father, I pray that as Pastor Rip prayed this morning, that as you open up the bondage, as you open up the jail cell doors, that we would willingly walk out of that bondage that we would willingly look at the cost, that we would get to that threshold and look at what it's going to cost us and then walk into it, understanding that there's a freedom out there. There's freedom out there behind, outside of those jail cell doors if we would just count the cost and move into that life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. So this may sound like an overly hard teaching of Jesus, one that maybe is good for for the Bible story, <laughs> maybe good for those people in Jesus' day, but man, do we really need to take this serious? I mean, is Jesus really talking to us today? Does this really apply to us? You might be wondering. Well, listen, if we're going to teach the Bible, if we're going to say that we're a Bible-believing, te- uh, Bible-believing church, then we need to believe the Bible and understand that its application is ageless. It didn't stop then. Jesus' discussions were intended for us to read, apply, and follow. So let's look at this passage as a way that Jesus is laying out the terms of what it means to be a true disciple. In his day, there were large crowds that followed him. Why did they follow Jesus? Well, they followed him because they loved the miracles, they loved the healings. They loved the free food. <laughs> two, two different times that we know of that's recorded, he fed thousands of people with a couple of loaves of, 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 of bread and a couple of fishes, and he prayed over them and multiplied them and fed them to their content, and they, the disciples picked up baskets full after the fact. So they loved what Jesus was providing for them. He was the up-and-coming new leader of the Jews, and he was the talk of the town. He was very popular. But Jesus being 100% human and also divine at the same time, he knew their hearts. He knew the hearts of the people. He knew that they desired the benefits of what he did for them more than understanding who he was to them. See, they love the gifts not the life that they were being called to. They loved the fact that Jesus was providing for them and really being a great guy. But they didn't like the life that he was calling them to live. So Jesus gives them this teaching of what it costs to be a true follower of him. And he describes it in some terms that they could understand and He talked to them about reminding them it's like building a tower and making sure you have enough finances before you start the construction. And I think we can all appreciate that as well. I think that we look at our bank accounts and we make sure we have a proper 
mortgage in, in, in store and ready to go before we jump into building a house or a building. And he also talked, maybe we don't understand this one as much about going to war, but do we have enough wherewithal to win the battle before we get into it? And he goes in those uh, examples. So what Jesus is really saying here, what he's really saying, he says, count the cost before you sign up for committing to follow me. Count the cost because it's going to be, cost, it's going to be costly. And that's the conversation. Jesus is saying, I, I don't want you to sign up thinking that it's going to be easy because I don't want you to be surprised later when it gets hard. I think what he's trying to I think he's trying to open our eyes. That's the gist of this teaching. And I hope that we're going to understand that Jesus isn't teaching this to discourage his disciples. He's not trying to push his followers away. Rather, he's trying to prepare them to be successful in the end. He's trying to give them what it's going to take for them to be successful at the end, not just when times are good. So here's a good question. How do you count the cost when you don't know what's coming in your life? How do you do this? It's a good question. How do you count the cost when you don't know what's coming? Here's the short answer. The short answer is Jesus is requiring us to make a commitment at the highest possible cost. He's asking us to make the commitment that in, in the worst possible situation that you're going to stay with me. And again, he's doing this with the purpose of preparation so that nothing later is going to surprise you because you've already sold out at the highest possible cost the most excessive cost, that anything in your life won't surprise you or won't, won't become too much for you to handle because you're committed to pay the price. You're committed to the cost. In other words, you don't need to know the specifics of your life. You don't need to know the details because if you knew the details right now before tomorrow came, what would you worry about? Tomorrow, right? You'd be worried about everything. See, Jesus had, had the ability to do that. He knew what was coming to him. He could handle it. I don't think I could. And I don't think you could. Just know that you're committed to finishing the race no matter what. The agreement is you sign up for it. I'm yours at any cost. That's the commitment that we're making right now. I'm yours at any cost, Jesus. Whatever that cost is, I don't know what it's going to cost me, but I'm in for it. That's the commitment that we need to make. That's what verse 26 is saying. If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, did you see that? By comparison, you must hate everyone else. You must hate your father and your mother, your wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. See, Jesus is getting directly to the cost of being a disciple. He's getting to the point. He's making the point right now in your face. And he's saying this real quickly. He's saying, I'm putting to end the idea that following me is some kind of a welfare system. That's the way, we're, that's the way our system is built, right? We're built on a welfare system. 
that you deserve to be taken care of. That's the way our system is designed. But I want to stop here just for a quick minute because I want to understand this is why this message is relevant for us today. This is why this is a good teaching for us to listen to and to put into our, our thinking because Jesus is making such an important point here that we have to recognize that the enemy, we have an enemy, right? We all recognize that Satan is our enemy and all the demonic forces around are our enemy. We have an enemy that's out to get us, out to destroy us. And that the enemy is willing and is saying the opposite of what Jesus is saying. Just so we recognize that. So here's the deal. If the enemy can't keep you from making a decision for Christ, then he'll go the opposite approach. And the opposite approach is this. He will try to tell you that if you give your life to Jesus, he will make your life easy. That if if you give your life to Jesus, your problems will go away. That Jesus is the answer to all your problems and you will be promised prosperity and abundance. And all these things are good, aren't they? And, and for the most part, true. But the enemy always keeps the caveat hidden in his back pocket. Because he knows that if we can get into this kind of teaching, that it's very shallow teaching. It's all about me teaching. And this is why we need to be aware of the reality of what the cost of following Christ is. Yes, we are saved by grace, no question about it. It's the free gift of Jesus Christ that gives us the peace that we want, the salvation that we desire. It's that gift of salvation. It's the promise of eternal life that is free. We all know this. John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but rather to save the world. We know that. In fact, most of us could recite that probably by heart. So with this application, with with this scripture, comes a cost, comes a transfer, if you will, of ownership of our life. And it's important that we recognize the fact that we're not our own anymore. That if this is what Jesus did for me, if this is the application that I'm going to put into, take out of this reading of this scripture, then Christ bought me. He paid a price for me. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 says, You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies and all that that requires. You're not your own. He bought you at a price. There's a cost that Jesus paid for your life. Galatians chapter 1, and then a few scriptures therein. It says, So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. And don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Verse 7 says, For you were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. So God is continuing to call us. We have to continue to follow. Verse 24, For those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed, nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. That's a cost. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Not just the parts that are easy to give up, not just the ones we don't like anyways. No, all of them. All of the passions of our life need to be nailed on the cross. 
That's a cost. Deciding to accept that free gift of salvation and making that transfer of ownership so that we have eternal life requires that we count the cost of what it really means before we start on life's journey. Before we start, recognize what it's going to cost. You see, if I try to follow Christ on my own terms, I'm setting myself up for disaster. It's just not going to work. If I say, Jesus, I'm going to serve you according to my feelings, according to the way I think, then I'm setting myself up for failure because my relationship with him will be short and it will be unsuccessful. I think there's many that can attest to that fact. The world would say differently. The world would say that you can live for Jesus on, on their terms and you can define truth the way you want to define truth. But that's not what the Bible says. I mean, let's just cut to the chase. That's not, there's nowhere in the Bible that says it that way, that you can live life for Christ the way you want to live life for Christ. You live life for Christ according to his terms because he is the giver of life. And he is the sustainer of life. And he is the healer of life. We cannot follow Jesus and the world's way at the same time. Matthew chapter 7, 13 and 14, it says, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many, for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. See, following Jesus may mean that we give up things in life. We may need to give up on some relationships with people. There may be some relationships that are, co- that are just very caustic to you, very damaging to you. You may need to give up relationships. You may need to give up some of your dreams of what you want to do. You may have to give up some of your material things. And for some, it might even require giving up their life. Hard teaching. Hard teaching, I know that. But it's necessary for our own good to come to this understanding of what this really means. You see, and here's the reason is. Because one of the major reasons that we must count the cost and establish our faith and our relationship on understanding the cost of discipleship is because it prepares you for what's ahead. It prepares you for what's coming. You may not understand it now. You may not know it now, but it's preparing you for the hard things that are going to happen, are going to come. Because life is not easy, even though we want it to be, even though we desire for the easy things in life. And and I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm not saying that we need to look for problems. I'm not saying that at all. And I know that there are seasons of plenty and there are seasons of well-being and I think we should enjoy those moments. Absolutely. Enjoy the peace that you have. Enjoy a nice time out fishing. Enjoy a good round of golf. Enjoy a nice walk down the beach. I'm saying enjoy life. Enjoy it all. I'm not saying give that up. But if we're focusing on those moments and basing our faith and our relationship with God on those good times of life, then what happens to your faith and relationship when things aren't so good? That's the question. 
That's what Jesus is talking about here. Because those who follow Jesus for what they can get from him won't stick around when things get tough. Those that are just following Christ for what they can get out of Christ, as soon as life, as soon as life turns a, a different look towards you, you're going to probably bail out. When God's way conflicts with our way, we feel betrayed by the shallow me-first faith that maybe we bought into. I think that's a problem with modern, modern evangelism because we don't talk about the law. We don't talk about sin. We don't talk about what Jesus really did for us on the cross. We say, well, if you come to Jesus, your life's going to be better. Well, for a lot of people that I know, they have a good life. For a lot of people that are in circles that I run around in, their life is pretty good already. So when I say God's going to give you a good life, they say, I already got a good life. Why do I need a better one? Amen? If we have not counted the cost of what it means to be his child and his follower, then we'll run away from our faith at the threat of sacrifice. We'll turn to the things that satisfy our selfish desires. That's the way of the world. Remember the parable of the soil we talked about a few weeks ago? Mark chapter 4, verses 5 and 16 to 17, it says, Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. You see, in Jesus' time, there came a time when the free food stopped and the public opinion turned ugly. The crowds stopped cheering and started to jeer at Christ. And this is an important point because Jesus knew this was going to happen before it did. He knew the crowds were turned against him. But yet, he went ahead with the plan. He went ahead with what he knew. He knew that he was going to have to finish the race in spite of the great persecution that was going to come against him. He understands what it means to count the cost. You see, that's why I can trust him because I understand he's been through it. He's counted more of the cost. He's had to deal with more cost than I'll ever, ever have to deal with. So when, it, so when his time gets tough, when his time gets tough, he stayed the course. That's why he can say, you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Hmm. He's completely aware, aware of what it means. So if you're like me, which I think you probably are, you're starting to wonder right now, what does Jesus mean when he says that you must give up everything you own? What does it mean? Pretty drastic. It's pretty hard. Is Jesus asking us something that's impossible for us to do? Let that settle in for a minute. How difficult is this? According to a commentary that I read, it says the cost of real discipleship is the willingness to give up or put aside anything in life, 
relationships, possessions, positions, plans, opportunities that may interfere with or hinder your relationship with Jesus. This does not mean that we must reject all we have or deny our God-given abilities and interests, but all we have must be devoted to Christ and under his guidance. You see, when we become one of his, when we become an adopted child into the family of God, we cannot belong to the world at the same time. You cannot have it both ways. First John 2, 15 and 17 through 17, he says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. You see, this implies here that there's a choice to be made. That in the process of choosing the offer of free, the free gift of God's grace, that there's a choice that we must choose to accept his grace and mercy through, offered through the blood of Christ. And that gives us the access into the Father. That gives us the right standing with God. It, but that is, and I've said this many times before, but that's day one. That is the first day of our salvation. And if we died after that, wouldn't that be grand? Because then we would be ushered into heaven. But life moves on, and we now have to live out this life of salvation. So what happens here? This is where we continually prove to love God by our continual choices to love the things that he loves and to hate the things he hates. God loves things and he hates things. And we need to learn to understand what that means. What do I, how do I love the things that God loves? And how do I hate the things that he hates? You know, God has some rules. Can I just say it this way? That God has some rules and conditions in order to live in his household. We are children of God. Now, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with God having some rules? Do you, do you find that strange that God would have rules? Let me ask you, in your household, do you have rules? Do you have rules in your household for your children? So why would God not have rules for his children? But yet the world doesn't like rules. Matthew 6.24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You know, and money's a big deal. Money is a big deal for us. And I want to take a few minutes and talk about that. Because we, don't, we need to understand that we have to be careful that we don't go to the extremes when we start thinking about money. You see, because those that are in poverty or don't have money are not any more spiritual than the ones that have money. It's not about the money. It's about, say it with me, it's about the love for the money. It's about how much I cherish the money. It's not about how much money I have or don't have. That does not determine my spirituality. So for the poor person here, you don't say you're more spiritual than the rich person. You're not. It's all based upon our love for the money. Money becomes a problem when we serve it over serving God. Whether you have a lot of money or don't have any money. When you start serving the money, the love for the money versus your love for God that's a problem. So let me ask another question. How do you know if you're serving money? How do you know? Do you know that? Do you know when money is your master? 
Does the desire to have it dominate your decisions and priorities in your life? Here's some questions to consider. Do you place your trust and faith in your money? Do you depend on it for your ultimate security and happiness? Do you desire it more than we desire God's plans and his purposes? Now, do you want me to answer these for you? No. (laughs) I can't answer these questions for you. You have to go through, you have to list these questions out and you have to decide, you have to go through every one of these and say, God, what is my answer? And you need to come to grips with this. Every person has to understand their love for their money. Is it more than your love for God? If it is, then that's an indicator that you're serving money and not God. This would be a great time to take an offering, wouldn't it? See, but it's not about the church wanting your money. I've had conversations with a gentleman just recently, in fact, this week, talking about that. And he said, you know, why does God want everything from you? Why does God demand everything? Like, all your money. You've got to give all your money to the church. And I said, first of all, this person's name, that's not in the Bible. Show me in the Bible where God says, give me all your money. He does not desire. He does not need your money. He needs your heart. He needs your desire. He needs your willingness. You see, there's a story in the Bible that we all know probably about their young rich ruler that when Christ confronted him with this choice, the ruler turned his back on Jesus. I think we all know the story. Luke 18, 22 and 23, this is the punchline. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. The sad thing is, Jesus was more sad than he was because the young man was willing to give up eternal riches for temporary gain. Notice here in this parable or in this teaching or in this story that Jesus didn't go after the young man. He didn't chase him down and said, wait, let's compromise. Give me half your wealth. Give me half your wealth. No. You see, the thing is, the cost, if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to be all in. You have to be all in. And you need to be all in before you start. That's what's stake, that's that's what's at stake here. That it's absolutely vital that we must realize the requirements of serving Jesus before we start. Because it prepares us for what's coming. Let me tell you a little story. Suppose that you learned that you had been given an all expense paid condo on a beach in Tahiti complete with airfare, car, food, and a maid. Forever. You could brag about your new lifestyle. You could plan for it and dream about it. But until you pack up and leave your current home, the new life is never really yours. You cannot live in Tahiti and your current hometown at the same time. And the problem is, many people approach Christianity the same way. right? They love the idea of eternal life. They love the idea of escaping hell and having Jesus at their beck and call as their maid, right? 
But they're not willing to leave the life they now live. They're stuck in their home where they're currently at. Their desires and their lifestyle and their sinful habits are too precious to them. They don't, they're afraid to walk out of that jail, jail cell. Boy, that was such a good word, preacher, Pastor Rip, that you gave that because that fit in exactly what we're talking about today. Christ opens the door for us. He frees us from our bondages. But then he patiently waits outside the jail cell, waiting for us to walk out and embrace him. He doesn't come in and drag you out. He doesn't come and pull you up by the nap of your neck and say, get out here. No, he patiently opens the door. He waits for you to come out. Because he has such more in store for us. You see, some of these people, they, they may have made a token exchange in their initial relationship. They may start to attend church or maybe give up a major sin, but yet they want to retain ownership of their life. They want to retain ownership of their life. Jackie, would you come, please? You know, yes, you have to understand that there's nothing in this message that says that we earn our salvation. There's nothing in Jesus' teaching here that says that we can be good enough on our own. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by faith in God's grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Amen. But we also must understand that when we make the choice to follow Jesus, we are releasing the control of our lives. That's why we named this church Center Point. It should be Center Point with a question mark. You should look at that sign on the road, and every time you see it, you should say, Who's at the center point of my life? Is, is it me? Or is it Christ? Because if Christ is not at the center point, then can I say it honestly? Then you're really not saved. You're a token Christian. You give a little bit when it's convenient, but you haven't really released your life yet to Christ. And then we wonder why we have problems. And I'm not saying that God's, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that he's going to take all your problems and, and willfully just give you joy, but I'm saying that the problems we have in life are many times, most of the time, our own doing because we haven't given our life to Christ fully. You see, when we give our life to Christ, it's going to change our life. And it's going to be a continual change process. We're never completely finished until the day Jesus calls us home. So if we're going to be a true disciple of Christ, then we must first count the cost of what it means to follow him. And when we do so, we are putting ourselves in a position to win. You know, I would always say this to people that are preparing to do something. Set the boundaries before you start. If you're dating, set the boundaries before you get in the car. Don't go there. When that temptation comes, you know the line has already been drawn and you're not going to cross that line. So the question is, do we determine up front what our response is going to be when the battle comes? When the sickness comes? 
when the job loss comes, when the financial pressures come, when the compromise or the, or the temptation to compromise with your friends because they're looking at your cross-eyed because you don't do what they do, when that temptation comes, are you tempted to compromise your biblical convictions for that? When the temptation comes to self-medicate because life is just too hard, or when the lust of the flesh comes into our life. You see, the more that we self-prepare ourselves, not that we can do it on our own, but the more that we make the decision to stand for Christ no matter what, that we've counted the cost, that we're going to stand our ground and we're going to be a follower of Christ no matter what the situation becomes in our life, that is preparing you to be successful at the end. That's why Jesus was talking this way. He didn't say this to discourage anybody. He said it to prepare all of us so that we then would stand strong to the end. So yes, we must count the cost in order to be disciple. And the cost is in principle and in, for some it may be in actuality. For those that truly are persecuted in this world, which we're not, by the way, just so you know that, not one of us have been persecuted to the point where you denounce Jesus or die. Not one of us have had to deal with that yet. But there have been many in this world that have. Some have fled, and some stood and took the beheading, right? I hope that never happens to us. Sometimes it's harder to live in a situation where you're not put at that point. You see, in the end... Having Jesus is all that's important. I just want to say that. Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 3. This is what we're going to end on. He says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Amen? We count the cost and we know that in the end, we'll have treasure upon treasure upon treasure. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word today. And we thank you, Lord, that you have given us this teaching, not, in, not as a way to tell us how hard it's going to be, but, Lord, as a way to prepare us for when the hard times come, that we're ready, that we're not going to be surprised. The enemy can't do anything now to, to trick us because we weren't prepared for this. And even in our best preparation, Father, we are only depending upon you, Holy Spirit, to lead us, to guide us through it, because we cannot do this on our own. It, it requires the cross. And our dependence on the cross. So Father, I thank you for your promise. And I thank you for your, your commitment to us. And I pray that our commitment to you would be powerful. And would stand the test of time. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me if you will. And let's sing this awesome hymn that Jackie and Tom are playing. That transcend all the reason of man. But the things that matter the most in this world, they can never be held in our hands. I believe.
Father, I just pray that that's our heart today. God, that we will cling to that old rugged cross. No matter what the cost is for us, because we know what the cost was for you. So God, I pray that that is our heart's desire this morning. That we will give you all of me and all of us today. Oh, Father, you are so grand. And you are so gracious. And you are so merciful. There is nothing that we can outgive what you've already given for us. I pray, Father, that we would just willingly run to the cross and just nail it all on the cross. Lord, prepare us to go throughout this day today and this week that's ahead. For what's coming, I pray, that you would just prepare us, enable us, and strengthen us. And we give you praise and we give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.